Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. So welcome to everybody. How many people here for the first time? Welcome to everybody's dropping in to check it out for the first time. Welcome anybody uh, logging into the Zoom group for the first time. I like to begin class uh, by putting out a topic somehow connected to the topic that I'm going to speak about tonight and ask you to introduce yourselves, meet some people. It's a core intention of mine in teaching this meditation class for years, many years I've been teaching it. Um, to help you meet each other. Uh, I'm um, I'm under the, the impression, the feeling that a Dharma teacher, uh, somebody who teaches Buddhism, a Dharma teacher's job is to help people become uh, totally independent and not need a Dharma teacher. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of teacher systems where the teacher sort of wants the students to become dependent on them, like the whole guru thing, like that's my guru. But in Buddhism, the, the understanding is more like the teacher is here to give you the instructions and help you develop community with each other. And uh, and it's hard in, in meditation communities to develop uh, when you come in and you're in silence and you meditate and then you're pretending like you're spiritual and then you leave. So I like to do these sort of icebreakers, talk to each other. It's part of it. It's part of the eightfold path, right? Speech, right? Listen, you know, wise listening, mindfulness, connection. It's all part of the Buddhist teachings. Tonight, I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk about in a general way, uh, emotional intelligence and the wisdom and how to wisely be with human emotions and to intentionally cultivate positive emotions. Uh, one of the easiest ways to talk about that is loving kindness, the Buddha's teachings on metta, love and kindness, as the attitude and the perspective that we're trying to develop all of the time and failing at some of the time. <laughs> but you know, the intention to be loving and kind and compassionate and in the commentary-based meditation practice on loving-kindness, uh, we break it down into five categories. Uh, learning to meet ourselves with loving-kindness, learning to meet our teachers, mentors, what we call benefactors with loving-kindness, learning to meet the uh, neutral people, the unknown masses, the stranger on the street, in the market, at work, wherever, uh, the unknown people with loving kindness, learning to meet difficult, your enemies, even your enemies, the people that you have resentments, judgments, fears of with loving kindness. And then ultimately, fifth, all living beings. You know, so it's this really high bar in intention that says we can, as humans, free ourselves from fear and anger and hatred of others and meet each other with compassion and loving kindness. Thinking about these five categories, who's the hardest for you to love? Is it yourself? And it's okay to be honest and be like, yeah, actually it's easier for me to have compassion for my enemies than it is myself. 
That's not uncommon. Is it strangers? Like to actually develop a positive emotional feeling. In this teaching I'll share later, the Buddha says, treat all living beings the way you would treat your own children. I find that to be impossible. <laughs> But a beautiful teaching, that, that teaching of like, wow, I, uh, could I really develop that kind of patience and tolerance and love and compassion for somebody that I don't even know, the way that I feel about my kids? That kind of connection. He says, cherish all living beings the way an ideal parent, he uses mother, but we'll just say ideal parent. I don't like being left out as a father. The ideal parent uh would cherish their own children that's hard <laughs> what's hardest for you loving yourself loving strangers loving your benefactors or you know if you have them in your benefactor category somebody that you already kind of love and appreciate probably not the hardest how about your enemies maybe for a lot of us it's going to be like yeah, fuck them. No love for my enemies. Not, not, not at all easy to have compassion for the people that have hurt me. Not at all easy to have love and kindness for people who I think are ignorant and evil in this world. You know, so for a lot, it's that. Or this massive and for some massive category of how about everyone? Sometimes in meditation, I find it's a little bit easier to be like, oh, yeah, the nameless faces, masses, everyone, all living beings. Oh, that's easier to connect with love than it is for like when I actually think of the person I have a resentment towards, <laughs> you know, easier when they just sort of disappear into the masses of all living beings than when I'm actually thinking about how I was hurt by them and how hard it is to have compassion or forgiveness or loving kindness. What is it for you? Just pick one. What's the hardest at this moment? Yesterday, it might have been all living beings. Today, it might be yourself. Today, it might be, you know, it, might, it changes. So it's not like this is who you are. I'm somebody who hates myself. That's my identity. It might just be today, I'm, you know, my mind is loud and I am having a hard time being kind to myself today. Right now, it's, you know, um, so with that i'm going to ask you to talk to each other talk about yourself for a minute or so not five minutes so i'm going to give you five minutes for this so talk about yourself for like a minute or so and then listen to the other person make sure to pass the mic at home i'll put you in um, breakout groups so that you can talk to each other in the room just find people and start introduce yourself and then talk about who's difficult to love out of these five categories. So I'll offer some loving kindness meditation instructions, and then um, we'll have some discussion about not only loving kindness, but um, developing wise relationship uh, to emotions in general, some investigation of what are emotions, what are feelings thoughts what's the difference um and especially some focus and see we'll how far we get tonight maybe we'll continue next week on uh, developing positive emotions or emotional intelligence so 
Uh, find a way to sit that's relaxed, upright. Allow your body to settle into a posture that feels sustainable. Allowing your hands to rest in your lap, on your legs. Keeping the body upright, the spine somewhat straight without being rigid. Allowing the rest of the body to relax around the upright spine. It's an act of kindness to soften the belly. We hold so much unnecessary tension, craving, fear, and a hardness in our belly or a tightness in our jaw or in the shoulders, wherever your body holds your stress. Relax into the posture, letting the body just hang loosely, just enough resistance to gravity to stay upright. Reflecting on your own relationship to positive emotions, feelings of love, of kindness, of patience, of generosity, gratitude, appreciation. confidence, feeling a sense of well-being or ease, contentment. It seems to be true that we all have a natural and healthy longing for happiness, for ease and well-being, to feel safe, secure, to be at ease. Connecting with that part of you that wishes for contentment, ease, well-being. To experience love, compassion, 
kindness, friendliness, sense of meaning and belonging. Spend some time going through these five categories. Beginning with bringing to mind someone who's easy to love. Someone that you care about, appreciate. Someone who's easy to generate a feeling of kindness towards. Traditionally, this category is called the benefactor, someone that we've benefited from knowing or knowing of. Someone who's inspired us or supported us, encouraged us, directly or indirectly. Sometimes I even think of the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, as one of my benefactors. So much gratitude, appreciation for the teachings. Even if they were thousands of years ago. The traditional phrases are, may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering, may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering. Begin saying these phrases over and over in your own heart, sending them to the benefactor. Perhaps imagining, visualizing, or just getting a sense of sending this friendly goodwill 
kindness to someone who is easy to feel kind towards. Maybe more people come to mind. Maybe you have a whole group of people that you appreciate, that you love, that you have felt supported by, inspired by. Maybe there's a long list. Extend loving kindness to them all. All of your teachers, your mentors, the sponsors, the therapists that have supported you, that have helped you, that you appreciate. May you all be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. can continue to use these phrases or you can use your own, find your own loving, kind, friendly phrases that are meaningful to you. Then reflect, imagine the wisest person, the most loving, most compassionate person, and how they see you, the empathy, the compassion, the appreciation, the unconditional love, unconditional friendliness through which they see you. with all of our in, imperfections, seen through the eyes of love and kindness and compassion.
and then turn the loving kindness towards yourself. Imagine seeing yourself this way through the eyes of wisdom, through the eyes of compassion. Begin saying to ourselves, may I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. over and over to yourself with as much sincerity as possible at this point, whether it's totally meaningful or not, whether you feel open, receptive to your own kindness or not. This is one of the ways that we develop, that we uncover, that we train the heart and mind to be kind through repetition, saying it, even if we don't mean it yet. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. When the mind wanders off into plans, memories, perhaps resisting or avoiding the vulnerability and intimacy of saying kind things, wishing for our own well-being in this way, simply return. Be a little bit disciplined, find the effort, come back to the phrase, don't let your mind wander Replace those thoughts with the simple, humble request. May I be happy. May I learn to be happy with myself just as I am. 
May I learn to be at ease in this body, this heart, this mind. May I be free from suffering through meeting the pain in my life and in this world with compassion. They're learning to let go non-attachment, non-clinging. Through training our own hearts and minds, we find happiness and ease and freedom. Expanding beyond ourselves. Think of somebody here in the room that you don't know so well, stranger, maybe somebody that was in one of your groups or you saw on Zoom or across the room. As we open the hearts and the mind to the understanding that this is a universal desire for happiness and well being breaking out of our small-minded, our self-centered views. Begin sending loving kindness to someone that you don't know so well, you don't have any real connection with yet. Could be the person sitting in front of you or behind you. Someone that you noticed, one of the boxes on Zoom, saying to them, may you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. Over and over, we repeat the phrases like a mantra. We remember to soften the belly and release the jaw. 
May you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free. And now opening to somebody who's a source of difficulty in your mind, you have some resentment towards. Somebody that has harmed us in some way or that we are holding judgment towards. However confused, ignorant, wounded they may be, they too wish for happiness. We extend loving kindness to open our own hearts, our own minds, to develop this wise relationship to confusion rather than meeting it with anger, with more confusion. Extending loving kindness even to our enemies, even to the difficult people in our lives in this world.
Lastly, extending to everyone here in the Sangha, everyone in the room, everyone on Zoom, in front of us, behind us, all over the country, joining us. May we all do what needs to be done to find true happiness, contentment, and well-being. May we all experience a sense of ease, peace in our hearts and minds. May we all find freedom from suffering through our own efforts. May the compassion that we uncover lead to freedom from suffering. May learning to let go to accept impermanence lead to freedom from suffering. Extend this goodwill, loving kindness, this unconditional friendliness outward in all directions to the east and west, north and south, throughout the neighborhoods, the states, the continents, cover the whole world with the intention of loving kindness, reflecting on the Billions of humans and beyond the human realm include the animal realms, the sky, the sea, the earth, all sentient beings included. May all living beings be at ease.
young and the old, the rich and the poor, those near and those far away, those suffering from oppression, as well as those who are oppressing. Those with power, those without power, those with privilege, those without privilege. We include all living beings. The last couple of minutes, just returning to yourself, this being right here that you have the most influence over, your own heart and mind. And one teaching, the Buddha said something like, we could search the entire world and never find anyone more deserving, more worthy of our love and kindness than ourselves. Take a moment to remember your worth. Of your own kindness, of your own love and forgiveness and compassion for you.
the main focus in Buddhism is freeing ourselves from that which is causing us suffering. First noble truth, acknowledging there's suffering in our lives. Second noble truth, seeing the cause of that suffering is some form of attachment, craving, clinging, aversion, self-centeredness. Third truth is it's possible in this lifetime you can get free. This this big promise. It's this humanist empowering teaching that says through your own efforts in this lifetime you can get free. The eightfold path that leads to freedom. The main focus is um, what's in the way of your happiness. There's not a lot of like uh, focus on being happy. It's like actually look at your suffering. <laughs> because if you look at your suffering and you free yourself from what's causing you suffering, happiness will be what remains. The Brahma Viharas is the name for the um, positive emotional states that uh, one experiences when they're free from suffering. Loving kindness is one of them. Compassion is one. Appreciation, sympathetic joy, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And the Buddha said his own experience was, I discovered mindfulness. Uh, and concentration and renunciation, being ethical. And uh, I freed myself from clinging to pleasure and aversion to pain. And I saw through this self-centeredness that the mind creates, the belief in a permanent self that takes everything. He said, through that process, I woke up and I was no longer experiencing hatred. I was no longer experiencing greed or jealousy or envy or conceit or vanity or any of those things that we suffer about. He said, all that remained was positive feelings of compassion for all living beings. All that remained was positive feeling of loving kindness towards myself and towards you and towards, you know, and, and he had some serious enemies. The Buddha, uh, you know, had somebody who was, his cousin was bullying him his whole life. And even after he got enlightened, his cousin continued to try like assassinate him murder him at like several murder attempts on his life he's the, like you imagine like like i'm gonna fucking kill the buddha fuck that guy getting you know all spiritual and shit <laughs> and he said but even towards devadatta his cousin he says still loving kindness compassion for their confusion and i don't know if uh, this category of enemy, I'm not sure if it's just from the commentaries, I don't know how much it's in the suttas, but I like this idea that we can have the humility to say like, yep, I've got a list of enemies. I'm, you know, I'm a Buddhist meditator that's trying to be kind and compassionate, and if I'm honest with you, I got a list of enemies whole bunch of people that I wouldn't mind if they, you know, got hit by a bus. <laughs> and maybe those are people in your life directly, or maybe they're, uh, you know, those kind of polit political figures or 
you know, larger than life archetypal idiots, you know, whatever it is for you. But at some point, so, so many of you have heard me say this, reminding those of you who've heard me and letting, informing those of you that don't know this perspective, which is that uh, my sense is the original formula of the Buddha's teachings was mostly mindfulness meditation. And I, I feel like he thought that actually, because mindfulness led him to compassion, mindfulness is the path to changing a relationship to pain and developing compassion. Mindfulness is the path to understanding impermanence and practicing non-attachment. Mindfulness is the, the path to seeing through the mind's tendency to create a self and be selfish and self-centered and self-cherishing. So he thought, if I could just teach people in, in the Eightfold Path, mindfulness meditation is where the focus is. At some point in his life, I think he realized, I don't know how long he had been teaching. My own thought, because 2,600 years ago, so we don't really have the dates. We have like, well, he gave this teaching over here and then he gave this teaching. And there's been some uh, you know, scholars that have gone back and been like, okay, well, if he was here when he got enlightened and then he was at this location, so they can kind of create some chronology about it. And it wasn't until maybe, let's say, a decade in, 10 years into teaching the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, where he said, oh, maybe I should actually teach people how to uh, uncover loving kindness rather than waiting for it to be a natural byproduct of mindfulness. Maybe I should teach people how to uh, generate compassion rather than waiting for compassion to be the natural outcome of years of mindfulness-based meditation. And then the, this is where these Brahma Vihara teachings came in. Here's how to develop compassion. Here's how to develop or uncover loving kindness. Here's how to connect with joy and appreciation and, and gratitude. And so then there's a whole series that you know came in the sort of second half of his teaching tenure. Uh, he said, let me let me give you guys some tools like, you know, you're fucking slow learners. <laughs> Mindfulness is a very gradual path. It takes a long time to really sit with your pain long enough to develop genuine and authentic compassion towards your own pain. So incline your mind, train your mind uh, towards compassion. Make sure that it's something that you're reflecting on rather than just waiting for it to spontaneously arise. shift i mean i feel like i could get trapped in just talking about loving kindness but i wanted to make it a bit broader than just meta and just this kind of an open reflection on positive emotion and we all have neuroscience says you know humans have a, a negativity bias like we're we're real familiar with anger and fear and greed and jealousy and the, the unpleasant emotions, what we call the afflictive emotions, like, but what are the 
what are the what are your favorite emotions what do you know what do you you know what do you enjoy what are the emotional states that you enjoy most i mean i'm kind of going on about love with some sort of assumption that like you like love <laughs> you want to feel loving towards yourself and towards others uh, so love's one of them what else what are the other positive emotions that you like tell me peace uh, peace and with peace it can be like peace contentment uh ease that loving kindness phrase ease peace i'm not sure if it's an emotion or not but it, it is a an experience to be at ease laugh somebody said laughter i'm not sure if laughter. i guess humor i i i guess we have to call it joy right like when you're experiencing so much joy the emotion of joy that it cracks you up which you know we could have a whole investigation of why we like slacks slapstick why we laugh so hard when someone gets hurt like that's fucking hilarious. That person just got hurt. Don't pretend like you don't laugh when people get hurt. It's fucking <laughs> funny. Right. And so that's there's like, whoa, that brings me joy. Like sometimes when I see and and you know, so much humor is like so terrible <laughs> and you know hurtful. Like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I'm fucking cracking up. Wow, you're really making fun of people, aren't you? You're really being mean. I think you're so funny. But anyways, I, I'm going on a tangent about humor. But humor, I, you know, when I, I was in teacher training, 20 years ago, I was doing this teacher training process. And my teacher said to me, what is missing from Buddhism? He asked that there was five of us getting trained to be Dharma teachers. He said, you know, and this is, it's an interesting question for all of us to look at. If you're familiar with Buddhism, is there anything missing? Is it a perfect path? And at that point, I was a very, you know, kind of rigid Buddhist. And I was like, how could there be anything missing? Perfect path. That's why I'm a Buddhist. But then as I reflected on it, humor was what I came up with. I, I can't find anywhere where the Buddha is saying, like, crack a good joke. Have a sense of humor. Don't take this shit too seriously. It sounds like because it comes to us from hundreds, thousands of years of religion, it all sounds very serious. You know, there's no fart jokes in the suttas anywhere. You know, uh, some scholars that in buddhist you know people that know a lot more about the traditional teachings than me have said well if you look at some of the similes in the teachings the buddha is being humorous you know like when he he says uh you know there's this one on perception he's like as as though there was like five blind people each touching a different part of the elephant and one is grabbing the tail and saying an elephant is skinny and long. And one is grabbing the trunk and saying an elephant is curved and moist. I don't know. So that, that was the Buddha's sense of humor and funny similes. I was like, I, I don't know, but humor does feel like j the joy of playfulness and humor feels like a really positive, uh, I've always been a little confused 
by um, there's like different school. Like if you ever, you ever see His Holiness the Dalai Lama, always giggling, and you're just like, yeah, that like just that sort of playfulness. Uh, to me, that's inspiring. Like you see someone like that, like peaceful, calm, compassionate, but also playful, not so focused on the sorrow of the world that you're just down in the like i'm compassionate and everything sucks <laughs> everything sucks and i'm compassionate but uh an, an open-heartedness and a playfulness um there are some buddhist traditions that think that uh, emotions are it's kind of low like the expression of, of humor or emotions or you know both both anger and joy waste of time um and that there's no sort of personality in the in the teacher or in the the monk or the uh they even in burma um teachers buddhist they're one of the traditional they just a little bit in thailand too they have a palm leaf and when they're teaching they'll hide behind it they don't want anybody to see their face and they'll give this monotone the buddha taught and so boring and just no personality no humor dry wisdom wisdom deep wisdom the teachings but no and I, i'm always kind of like oh i need some humanness some love some humor in it so we have love we have peace we have humor what other positive emotions inspiration a feeling of inspiration being motivated, being lack of fear, confidence, fearlessness, sense of awe, sense of awe, kind of like uh, wonder, not knowing, but like, uh, yeah, it's hard to explain awe but we all know what it means that kind of like oh i can't explain it i mean oh <laughs> like this is fucking amazing in some way or another happiness happiness yeah i'm forgetting the home people at home happiness what else happiness compassion is a positive emotion contentment peace ease feeling of generosity as a positive you know not just like a i'm making a donation because that's the thing to do but like giving because you have that feeling of i want to give to you you know even this is a little bit of an aside but i heard a dharma teacher once um trying to explain what love is and the difference between love and attachment so for a moment like what's the difference in your direct experience between love do you ever experience love that's not attached especially in intimate and romantic loving it feels like oh if i love i'm attached i'm uh, you know sort of clinging as part of love and they said and i like to this they said you can tell the difference like sometimes you know there's in love in that moment of the true love he said he said to him it felt like love felt more like generosity when you really 
want to give. I care about you so much. I want to give to you. Not I need to get or I need to I'm clinging or I need to that there's no sort of need in the actual experience of love. Now, of course, they go together. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's that moment of I love you. And then there's that sort of self cherishing that says, and you better fucking love me back the way I want to be loved. And that clinging and that craving and that. But generosity, what that that pure feeling of, I just want to give. I don't need to receive anything. I just want to give. Gratitude. Gratitude, thankfulness. Gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness. So some of what I want to point to is that, yes, mindfulness and ethics and will lead to being more loving and more compassionate and more, I think, uh, more an ease of ease of laughter and joy and but rather than waiting, you know, mindfulness is great, but also these intentional practices like loving kindness, like compassion. I put a, a big emphasis on forgiveness because I often think that it's our, our anger and our resentments that are blocking that natural feeling of love and compassion and generosity. Um, so, you know, saying, over and over and over in our hearts and minds, I forgive you to yourself, to others. The metta, I'll come back to metta. It feels like it's easier to talk about. In the metta sutta, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you and we can discuss it a little bit. And again, the context here is the Buddha had been teaching mindfulness. He'd been teaching the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. And he'd been saying, this is going to lead you to love. This is going to lead you to compassion. This is, And then um, some of his students came to him and said, you know, we're, we're doing it. We're doing the meditation. But we're experiencing a tremendous amount of fear. We're really, uh, you know, we're out in the forest meditating and we're experiencing all of this fear. And he said, here is a practice that will lead to loving kindness for all living beings. And it will free you from fear, the antidote to fear is love and kindness and uh, well-wishing for each other. If we really have that positive regard for each other, then we're not so afraid of each other because I'm kind of feeling like I care about you. I, I wish for your happiness. I assume you're not trying to hurt me, not as afraid of you. So he said to them, he said, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing and gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. And so the, that last part is the meditation instruction. But there's so many 
life instructions in that first part about humility and being a straightforward, gentle, honest, uh, not conceited, free from that, uh, uh, being easily satisfied, accepting things the way they are, not being demanding, not being proud or demanding in nature. And this, um, and I, I take this as a practice to not do the slightest thing that through the eyes of wisdom that the wise would disapprove of. You ever think of that? Think about what we're doing. Would I do this in front of my teacher? Would I do this, uh, you know, if the Buddha was watching? <laughs> you know, if you had an enlightened being over here, would you still be looking at the porn? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but, you know, hopefully you're the eyes of the wise would that there's kind of your sexuality, you're taking a shit, all of it included. You know, and that actually there's nothing shameful about taking a shit. There's nothing to disapprove of, right? It's just a natural human function. But and then all of that embarrassment that we might have around our farts or our poop or our sexuality or whatever it is, it's all just puritanical conditioning, nothing to do with wisdom. Wisdom says, oh, you're a body and you're aging and you're gassy and you're, you know, just you're a, you're a natural being. This is all the natural part. You have sex, you know, you masturbate. It's all sexuality is natural. It's beautiful. It's no judgment. Right, that kind of, uh, but we have these these ideas, these conditions that think, oh well, my, I'd be embarrassed about all of these things that I do. And what's really being pointed to here is like, are we being honest? Are we being in integrity? Are we being kind? Are we being generous? Are we being loving? That's what you know. Wisdom, you know, disapproved does doesn't feel like the best sounds judgmental but there is some discernment in it where this would be unskillful wishing and gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease and he goes on to try to be thorough saying uh, may whatever living beings there may be whether they are weak or strong omitting none the great or the mighty medium short or small the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. And then some more uh, encouragement towards honesty. He says, let none deceive another or despise or resent any being in any state. So I always feel like Perhaps forgiveness is a prerequisite to true loving kindness. Maybe we can't get to a place of true metta loving kindness until we free ourselves from hatred. And any being includes ourselves. So, um, you know, if we're in this place where we're still judging and resenting and feeling, un, you know, believing that lie of unworthiness. You know, the feeling, you know, feelings aren't facts, but they're real. They're, and if you feel unworthy and if you feel uh, unlovable, it's a fucking lie every time. If you feel ashamed of who you are in any way, it's just your mind lying to you. And I can say that, and it's, it's true, 
but you have to we have to know that for ourselves we have to forgive and have compassion and see through the confused whatever it is religious societal confusion that have led to us not knowing our own worth or feeling shame or self-hatred or you know whatever because it's blocking our ability to be loving to feel love to to, to share it to so forgiveness every day in in refuge recovery we say uh, which is the buddhist recovery program that i created and am part of and um i say you know if you're an addict and you're coming into recovery uh practice mindfulness and then after a week or so of mindfulness of the breath start alternating forgiveness and loving kindness and do that every day every other day send yourself forgiveness ask for forgiveness for the people that you've harmed and start sending forgiveness to the people that have harmed you the three categories of forgiveness i say now keep doing that until you have no more resentments this teaching here from the buddha until we do not despise any being in any state now i don't know how long how long is it going to take how long you've been doing it so far my own experience was it took me about 10 years of doing forgiveness meditation before i came to the first moment in my life that i could remember where i consciously couldn't experience hatred up until that moment any I, there's all of these different people that i could bring to mind and i'd just be like i fucking hate them and even in the forgiveness practice, I'd be like, you know, the enemy category and be like, no, no, no compassion. And then a little bit of compassion and a little bit of forgiveness. And it was about a decade into it that I came to the first moment where I had compassion. I had loving kindness. I could genuinely experience that towards even the people who had abused me and even to the kind of political people that I had, uh, you know, archetypally hated. And, and been able to see their, see their suffering and have some compassion and have some forgiveness. It took me about a decade. I don't know how long it'll take you, but I was sincere about doing the practice. The thing about emotions and even the emotion of forgiveness, it's also a for, uh, even, you know, a lot of the wisdom that we experience, the joy, the humor, the everything that we mentioned it's the bad news here positive emotions are impermanent everything's impermanent right we know that i say this because i remember being um delusional about i thought that i'd eventually be able to forgive everyone once and for all like like forgiveness was going to be permanent and then I'd be permanently free from despising any being in any state. And what happened was after 10 years of doing the practice, I got to that moment that lasted, you know, there was a, a period of sort of reprieve from resentment. But then it started to come back. And I had, you know, but 
I don't want to say it wasn't real. It was real. There was a real experience of forgiveness. But I forgot that that was an impermanent experience. It was real, but it didn't last. And then the resentments came back. Some of them seemed to diminish and dissipate kind of permanently. Um, but others are um, repeated visitors. And they'll come back, every, you know, the right situation, the right thing will happen. And that, yeah, fuck them. Oh, wait, forgiveness. You know, and then and having that tool of forgiveness to come back to returning, replacing the positive emotion of, of compassion and forgiveness with that habitual tendency towards judgment and anger. So I feel like this teaching from the Buddha is uh, very much instructive in order to get there. And there's another one about, he says, or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. These are spiritual principles. These are uh, instructions of how to, how to be happy. If you want to be happy, if you want to be at ease, if you want to be at peace, we have to free ourselves from that natural, impersonal survival instinct of the human condition that hates, that hates the other, that hates those who hurt us, that offend us, that disagree with us, our you know, political, personal, whatever it is. We have to free ourselves from wishing harm upon and i think that this you know one of the reasons why the buddha said this whole thing goes against the stream is because the stream is greed and hatred and delusion hatred is easy and normal and universal we all hate truly loving and forgiving and having compassion is a quite uncommon experience for humans it's not the norm it's not easy we wouldn't be here continuing to have this practice and this discussion if it were easy we all would have graduated by now we'd be like cool got it don't hate perfect got it compassion check forgiveness okay i'll just do that i forgive everyone done but it doesn't work like that because we live with this mind that constantly says, hey, you should suffer at them. <laughs> you should really suffer at those idiots out there. The confused beings in this world that offend our righteous sensibilities. We should be angry at them. We should judge them. We should... And it's not your fault that your mind, your mind says that, right? In some way or another. And so we have to train the mind in forgiveness. And there's that, that part that I said earlier. He says, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Try that. Really try that. Even if you don't have, you know, if you have kids, you have a sense of how totally impossible it is. 
But if you don't have kids, you can still have a sense of how totally fucking impossible it is to have the kind of love and connection and cherishing for the stranger on the street, or especially the annoying person in your life, or the you know person that cuts you off in traffic and you immediately say, hey, go fuck yourself, because you're afraid that you almost got injured or cherish all living beings, you know? And so the, the bar is, uh, you know, who's your, who's the, I think last week, can I ask something like, who's the um, hardest thing to care about in this world or the most difficult, something like that. My father talked about learning this and and as a jew you know jewish person growing up and saying like wow i have to include hitler how could i ever include hitler now for uh you know some of you that's trump for some of you that's um you know whoever it is for you the archetype of ignorance or violence or oppression or genocide or and the Buddha's here are saying all living beings right he's not saying just just your homies saying that it's actually possible for us to wake up to the point where we have love for the most confused beings that have ever existed the most ignorant the most confused that we free ourselves from hatred and ill will. And that through doing that, right, and we're not doing it for them, we're doing it because you'll experience freedom, happiness. The outcome of forgiveness is you'll cherish all living beings or at least have a bit more success at loving. Just kind of some, my own sense in, in Buddhism, there's a whole bunch of things. I've been at it for 35 years now. There's a bunch of things like this that I have failed at. Buddhist failure. My name is Noah, I'm a Buddhist failure. I can't love all living beings the way that I love my children. But just trying. Just having this on my radar and this reflection of, I can't do it, but when I remember to try, I'm kinder, I'm more patient, I'm more loving, I'm more generous. When I remember, oh, I'm trying to have this sort of universal love the way that I have my uh, sentimental love, the way that I have the attached love I do with my in my relationship and in my, I'm trying to have this sort of similar connectedness with all living beings. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. And so you saw in our meditation, how we're doing that. We're wishing, may all beings be at ease. And then we're radiating that wish. May all beings, all sentient beings be at ease. 
spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward, unbounded, free, third time forgiveness, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or laying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world, into the world of suffering and confusion and unhappiness. Now, whether we're talking about rebirth or just being born into that here and now mentality of suffering and confusion. And that's my story. I knew I was going to get stuck on love and kindness, but that's okay. Good enough for tonight. Um, everything that I share, check, check the wrong directions. Um, everything that I share, for those of you who are new, I, I try to remember to say this. Uh, some of it's, you know, here's what the Buddha taught. A lot of it's, here's my opinion and perspective on how we can apply it in our lives. Uh, but the spirit of Buddhism is this open offering of, uh, come and check it out and, and see what resonates for you. And um, almost all of the early teachings were ended with this wonderful phrase where the Buddha would say, here's the truth about reality, basically the Dharma teaching. And then he would say, it's now time for you to do as you see fit, which is this kind of lob back to the listener. Here's what I think. Here's what I, you know, the Buddha could have the confidence to be like, here's what I know is true. You got to find out for yourself. I'm over here, not quite as confident to be like, this is absolutely the truth. Figure it out for yourself. What resonates? Reflect on it, apply it. The Dharma that is trustworthy is the Dharma that leads to the end of suffering. Then, And the end of suffering, meaning more joy, more happiness, more laughter, more generosity and compassion and positive emotions will replace the negative ones on this path. Not completely replace. You'll still have fear. You'll still have anger sometimes, you know, the negative emotions. My favorite image is, uh, I think it's really a Taoist image. Chinese Buddhism says life, the enlightened life is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, that we actually have a balanced, positive and afflictive emotion experience. But that with wisdom, we don't even suffer about the afflictive emotions anymore. You see them, sorrows, here comes the sorrows, meet them with compassion, then we don't suffer about them. Couple of announcements. Um, Three-day silent meditation retreat in May in, um, up in Big Bear at the, um, I forget what it's called, Dovid Ovid Retreat Center, I think is what it's called. It's a new retreat center. It looks really nice. It's a little more expensive than last year because the retreat center is a little more expensive, but it'll be more comfortable and, uh, you know, you'll, easier to get enlightened. I don't know, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> So I hope you come to that. It's open for registration. It's on the website. Plan now. End of May is coming soon. So 
uh, register for the three-day three-day retreat if you want to attend with us. Um, is there still room in? Uh, there's still there's still a, a little bit of room in the uh, Portugal retreat, which is about a month away from now. Uh, we have a ten-day retreat in Portugal. There's information about that on the website. Um, I shouldn't say this, but I'll say it because it's true. You know, the Portugal retreat for 10 days is only $600. The weekend retreat up in Big Bear is probably going to be about $600. So do you want to go to Portugal? Well, then you got to get to Portugal. But still, as far as the cost of the retreat, you know, you do a retreat in the States up here and they charge us 200 bucks a, a night and we have to, you have to pay 600 bucks for the three days. Or you go to Portugal where they charge, you know, half of that. You can do a 10-day retreat for 600 bucks. So some of you might come. There's not much space. I think there's only a handful of spots left. Uh, it's about a month away, Portugal, 10-day retreat. In the fall, we'll have another seven-day retreat here in Southern California. Hope some of you make it to that. Talked a little bit tonight about the positive feeling of generosity. Classes done by donation, by generosity. Uh, see if when you're making a donation tonight, you can actually feel it. I think that, you know what I mean? Like you're, I'm not saying like give so much it hurts, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying so often we just sort of mindfully, mindlessly be like, well, here's 20 bucks. And we don't actually take a moment to be like, I'm giving to the Dharma. I'm giving to support against the stream, to support Noah and let yourself feel good about it, you know, and, and give something that does feel good. And maybe that's 20 bucks, maybe it's five bucks, maybe it's a hundred bucks, whatever it is for you, but feel, oh, this is the act of giving. You can come to this class and not give anything. A lot of people do, that's okay but it's supported by your generosity. And it's one of the ways that we practice developing the feelings of generosity by giving and being mindful of, I had a friend who said, you know, sit there with a handful of bills. We don't want you to do this because the line would be too long. But if you sat there with a handful of cash and said, this is what two bucks feels like. This is what 10 bucks feels like. And really be mindful. What's it feel like? This is what 20 bucks feels like. This is 100 bucks. Oh, that, I don't, that doesn't feel good. Let me take that back. Right? To, to really find, like, where's that spot for you that feels good? Like you're getting the experience of being generous. Um, I encourage it. Whether it's doing the online donation or actually being able to, to donate in person. Okay, I'll see you next week. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions with all living beings. May each one of us get free, stay free, and may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.